Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. In our fast-paced world, it's easy to get caught up in the luxury and glamour of social media. While everyone may be living their best lives, it's often not the full picture, and honestly, it's not what's really important. In today's episode, we sit down with Mladen Jovanovic, the co-founder of Bindi Maps, an Australian tech startup that helps the visually impaired navigate unfamiliar or complex indoor spaces with a navigational mobile app. In today's chat, Mladen shares the importance of unplugging from social media, how many failures it took to launch Bindi Maps, and why we should think about giving back in order to find fulfilment. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on socials, or if you're new here, please do take a screenshot of this episode right now post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us in our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome, Aladdin. Gladden, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Michelle. Couldn't be more stoked. We finally made it happen after a few reschedules, but we're here. We're here. There you go. Well, you know, you and I recently connected. When I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in social entrepreneurship, sales and tech, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, anytime, especially now Christmas time. Things are getting busy, but let's cram everything into this end of the year so we can hit next year running fresh. Absolutely. Love that. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Sure. So my name is Miladin Yovanovich. Currently, I'm working at a company called Bindi Maps. So it's a small startup that we have. We've got about 14 full-time employees at the moment. And we really set out on a mission to help restore independence to people who are blind or vision impaired by allowing them to navigate the world just like everyone else without any barriers. So we created a tech solution that pretty much will talk someone who's blind through their journey throughout unfamiliar indoor spaces, really allowing them to be able to go to places independently without having to ask anyone for help. That's currently what I'm doing. In the past, I have had another software startup. I've worked in security. I've worked in accounting, finished my marketing and accounting degrees. There's a bunch of little fun stuff I did along the way. But if you want to encapsulate everything about me, super passionate about sales. So I'm running the commercial team here at Bindi Maps, and that's what I love to talk about regularly. Love it. What do they say? Without sales, you don't really have a business. So I think it's really cool that you do that as well and incredible what you do for the vision impaired. And I can't wait to dive deeper into your business and what you teach around sales as well. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up in a, it was sort of, I'd say, a different upbringing. So we migrated to Australia back in 2000 from Serbia. And thankfully, my grandparents were able to help us out to get us a place and get us started. But throughout my life, my dad was mainly just working corporate security. Mum was hopping around doing a sales job here and there. And, you know, she worked for Master Foods, selling stuff and things like that. Their thought process was always, you know, save, 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 buy yourself a property and then just be stable for the rest of your life. So it wasn't really when I, set out on this journey to start a business. I remember there was a little innovation competition that I was going through and my dad was telling me, be happy that you made it to the top six. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. It was that sort of safe, stable, you know, don't take any risks, save your money. Don't spend it on things that, you know, aren't absolutely necessary. So it was sort of that migrant upbringing. It's so interesting. And I love your response to that. I love asking that question because I think how our parents see the world and how we were brought up and all of that, you know, where we grew up, it so plays a role in kind of our outlook on life, at least early on and kind of what we end up doing. So I guess, you know, take us back to those times, you know, you just came to Australia, I'm guessing you were super young, maybe five or six or something like that. And you've kind of been instilled growing up of, you know, get that secure job, do the thing that's going to make sure that bring in the money and just to live and all of that. What was that like for you? I guess, how did that play out in your teen years? And when did that shift start to happen when you thought, hang on, maybe there's a different way about going about life and my career? Well, I was always the different one in the family. I always had a bit of a problem with authority and a problem with people telling me what to do. I was always argumentative when my parents would tell me, you know, do this, go to school, study, get a good job, do the whole traditional pathway to life sort of thing. And I would always rebel against that. By the time I got to the end of my HSC in year 12, I ended up getting below 30. I completely failed high school. And then after that, I went into working as a bouncer in King's Cross and, you know, a bunch (laughs) of other, yeah, it was all the fun stuff. It wasn't until I spoke to a friend of mine who used to copy off me in high school and I hadn't spoken to him in, in a few years. And when I did, he said he was at university. And that was that sort of shock point, like, hang on a second. I was sort of destined for failure and I didn't have any prospects of going into university. You were copying of me. How did you get into university? And then he explained to me that he went through TAFE and he got his diploma, graduated with distinctions, then, you know, got accepted into university and now he was in his second year and he was doing really well. Like he he graduated first year with 
high distinctions. And it sort of got me thinking like, well, it is possible. Do you know what I mean? Like growing up, my parents were always like, don't look at the people that have wealth. Don't look at the people that have money because that's not us. That's not us. You can't compare yourself to those people. You need to know your place. You need to stay in your lane and you need to realize that you have a ceiling on what you can earn, right? You can earn maybe if you're really successful, you can earn about 100K a year. And, you know, these days that's hitting pretty much average for anyone in corporate, right? But that was that bit of motivation to say, hey, listen, things are possible. You don't need to just do what's been embedded in you since you were a child and that pathway that people have been telling you to go. So, I was like, you know what? You did it. I'm going to do it. I actually asked him which TAFE he went to and, and which diploma he did. So I copied those exact same things, just like he used to copy off me in high school. And then I went through that, graduated with distinctions, got into university. At this point, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Even though I did realize that things were possible and I started going down a different pathway, I was still sort of fixed in that mindset of how I was growing up with, you know, okay, so now I'm in university. The best thing I can do is become an accountant. I can earn my 100K a year and that's it. So I was still sort of fixed in that mindset, but then there was a big turning point in my life where it was just like a complete 180 and things completely changed. It was after I spent six months in Europe. This wasn't a travel holiday. It was more just to reconnect with my family and get to know how things are back in Serbia. And my dream was always, you know, pay off one property in Australia and then live off passive income while you're in Serbia because the monthly wage there was about 300 euros a month and you'd be able to do it comfortably. But it wasn't until I spent quite a bit of time there that I realized how people are actually living in these countries. And even though they have 300 euros a month, they struggle to eat, they struggle to do anything and they really have no opportunity, right? Like no matter what you wanted to do, how intelligent you were, it's very, very hard to make it out of the village, what we call it. It wasn't until I came back to Sydney, I realized, holy shit, like we've got a lot of opportunity here. It's I've been given, you know, a silver platter as soon as we moved here. So let's make something of it. And then that's that sort of turning point where I decided to, you know, screw my head on and start doing things. Wow. Oh my goodness. I love that it almost took going back to your roots and revisiting all of that to get that motivation to break that ceiling. You know, for our peers out there listening who feel like they could be doing more or that perhaps the mindset that was instilled in them at an early age or from society or from social media these days is just maybe not what they should have and they want to change but perhaps they haven't gone through what you went through which was that massive kind of aha moment you know what advice would you give to us around feeling okay to level up and not being fearful of that or feeling like we're not good enough I think the bare basic advice that you hear from anyone, even, you know, referencing Instagram and TikTok and all the social media platforms now where there's a lot of influencers talking about, you know, just dive in and just do it. I mean, yes, okay, that is great advice. But what a lot of people do is they will take that advice after being pestered long enough and they will dive in and then they'll do it. And then it is hard, right? The challenge isn't diving in and doing it. The challenge is sticking to it. And if you're just in it for the money and just in it to make the next drop shipping, you know, system where all you're going to do is sit back and make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month or whatever it is, it will be difficult. So my advice there would be really think about what you're passionate about. Think about what problems you want to solve in the world and then dive in and do it because that's what's going to keep driving you when it's, you know, ridiculously hard and you've sold your car and your motorbike and everything else to invest into the business and. Some people's risk appetites are different, right? Some people will live on the streets and, you know, eat ramen noodles for the rest of their life until they make a big and some people won't. But regardless of which pathway you choose, it is going to be difficult and you are going to have difficult times. And there will be times where you realize, holy shit, this is hard and you're going to want to quit. And if the problem that you want to solve isn't big and important enough to you, 
it's going to be very difficult for you to stick it out. So my advice would be think for a bit, find what you're passionate about and then dive in. When was a time for you where you thought, holy shit, this is hard. I don't know if I can keep going. For me, it happened a few times. I mean, the first time when I came back from Serbia, I got an email from my university in my junk inbox telling me, you know, innovation competition, you know, come build a business, you get mentorship from all these, you know, super intelligent people that were high up in huge corporates. And I went through that and that's how I started my first business. But what they kept on drilling into me is investors invest in teams. They don't always invest in products, not always about how good your idea is. They'll invest in people. And I was doing this alone. And, you know, my background and the people I grew up with and the friends that I made weren't really from the startup space. I mean, just hearing back on my story, that was pretty much all of my friends as well, right? So going into this competition, I was by myself. Somehow I won, which I was stoked about. But then after that, when I was actually building the startup, there were many, many points where I was like, okay, well, you know, is this going to go anywhere? I wasn't making any money. I was building a product that I had no idea about. I only learned what the word innovation was about three months before that. I mean, that was a hard part. But then after sticking through that, even though that business wasn't a success, it got me to the next stage of meeting my current co-founders at this company, learning a lot from that and actually getting through it. So even though it was deemed a failure, to me, that was a huge success in my life. And the reason why I said sell your car and motorbike is because that's what I did. I ended up losing about 35, 40 grand trying to build a product and, you know, take it to the market and get everything done, which was ridiculously hard, especially being back to ground zero with no properties, no investments, no equity anywhere. That was pretty much everything I had. So the stress was huge, but I think it was definitely well worth it. How do we get to that mindset? You know, I think so many of us, the thought of quote unquote losing it all and, you know, whether it is the motorbike or the rent that I can't pay, I'm going to have to move back in with my parents or whatever it is. Like, I think that's such a fear. It definitely was for me when I started out, you know, oh my gosh, what if I literally lose it all and my peers think that I'm just, you know, such a dropkick and I can't do anything, et cetera. How do we push past that mindset or get to a point where we can view our failures as wins? Personally, I think that comes down to the individual. What I learned a lot from my dad in particular was look at everything through the lens of optimism. If I think of the greatest challenges in the world and who's faced them, the first person that comes to my mind is my dad. I can probably do another three-hour podcast on the crap that my dad went through. But at the end of the day, he hasn't gone insane. He's still laughing. He's still got a lot of joy in his life. And he really tried to instill that in me from a very early age, whenever there was problems. Can you solve it? Yes or no? Yes. Great. Let's work on it. If not, laugh it off. Move on. If you can't do anything about it, there's no point lingering. There's no point thinking about it, dwelling on what if, what should have, could have happened. If you can't change anything, move on. And I think that that was a very important thing for me to learn because that's when I started looking at those failures as successes, right? Because you'd start looking at it through that lens of optimism, right? And it's like, have you learned something? Yes. Can you change anything? No. Great. You've learned something. Move on. It can be so hard though, I'm Aladdin. Oh my goodness. It's so tough. And I think I fully resonate with that. And I think I've had to teach myself so many times. It's okay. I've failed again. Here we are, but it's okay. I've learned something. Was there ever a time for you where you just thought, you know what? I know I have to view this as like a win but it sucks right now. And I actually don't know if I can and if I can keep going. Did I mention that I'm in sales? <laughs> <laughs> every day, every day. <laughs> every single day. Yeah. 
I mean, and it's all about building up that resilience and building up that thick skin. Personally, I think everyone should get into sales for at least six months. It will teach you a lot and not just about, you know, rejection, but it would also teach you a lot about people and how to ask the right questions and how to truly care about what the person you are speaking to cares about. Because at the end of the day, when you're in sales, you're not trying to trick someone to make a purchase decision. You're trying to solve a problem which they will pay for. If the problem's big enough, they'll pay to solve it, right? And it's your job to really hold their hand and show them and shine a light on how big the problem is in their organization. And again, going back to your question of how difficult can things get, I can't think of anything more difficult in a professional sense than sales because every single time that you go into an account, it's personal or you feel like it's personal, right? So every time you speak to someone, if they tell you no, it's like, what did I do wrong? Or if they tell you, you know, this isn't right for our organization, it's like, hang on a second, did I communicate the benefits properly? Right. So that would probably be my advice to people get into sales. <laughs> as simple as it is. When did you find yourself and get into sales? And what were those first six months like? You know, I think, at least from my experience, that was the hardest, the first kind of six months to a year of trying to sell my business or trying to sell people anything really. So I got into sales because I didn't know what sales was. <laughs> so I got into sales because everyone was always telling me, hey, you can talk, you should get into sales. You can speak really well. You're outgoing. You communicate with people, get into sales, which is completely wrong. Like you couldn't be further from what the essential skills are for a salesperson. Your job isn't to talk. Your job is to listen. So when I got into it, I was lucky enough to be blessed with two amazing co-founders. Anna is our CEO and she's the original founder of the company that came up with the idea. So she manages all things, CEO, finance and so on. And then we got Tony Burrett, who is an absolute genius of a head of product person. He founded carsguide.com.au. It's in the double digits. I think he helped develop over 50 Australian startups. So I was really blessed in the sense that I had the ability to focus on what I needed to focus on, the commercial side of the business. So in that first six months, it was really understanding that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So I was going into sales encounters, throwing slide decks at people, trying to convince them to buy this, that, and the other when I wasn't really listening. And then it wasn't until I was like, hang on a second, let's change this approach. Let's hear what they have to say. And then let's move through the conversation based on their needs. It was only at that point that I started to actually realize that this is how you need to sell. So for anyone that's thinking about getting into sales, listen first. Such valuable advice. I think sometimes though there's this misconception that, oh, well, I just want to start a business. I want to help people. I'm a startup. Why do I need to know how to sell? I wrote, have an e-commerce product. It sells itself online. What would be your response to someone who is an entrepreneur at heart, but why is it my responsibility to do that? And that's a great point. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that if you can't sell, you don't have a business, right? Sales is the most uneducated profession in the world. And it's also one of the most important professions in the world. And being a startup founder, especially if you haven't got investment, if you haven't got any backing, and if you haven't got a team, it's your responsibility to do everything from operations, to marketing, to finance, to sales, and so on. And I know that you know, majority of the time, people that get into startups are highly technical, highly intelligent people that can build software, that can, you know, have all these great ideas. But then when it comes to selling the solution, they're just like, oh, well, people should just build it and they will come, which isn't the case. So my advice is either learn how to sell really quickly or invest really early in sales. Personally, I wouldn't hire a salesperson in your organization without having sold the product first because you haven't proven the value, you haven't found product market fit, you haven't really found what resonates with people. And being the founder, that should be on you to figure out. 
such valuable advice. I want to backtrack a little bit and understand how you got into indie maps and how you actually started your business. So I think what I saw was once you'd graduated, you went straight into this business. So I'd love to know that transition period. You know, why not go for that accounting role that your parents would have been so happy with, I can imagine. But, you know, what was your mindset there when you were kind of wrapping up your degrees and kind of thinking what's next? So one thing you learn is I'm probably one of the luckiest people in the world. Everything sort of tends to fall into my lap at some point. So what happened was after I won that innovation competition, the university UTS funded me to go to the Startup World Cup out in Denmark, and I ended up winning that with my last startup. And then when I came back to Sydney, the university started putting me on a lot of judging panels for startups and things like that because my forte was pitching. That's what I was obsessed about. I could pitch anything. And I was lucky enough to meet Anna Wright. That was on a judging panel for startups. And Anna started telling me about the problems that she was solving around, you know, people who are blind or vision impaired and things like that. And that sounded really interesting to me because at that point I was sort of thinking like, great, I'm building a software company, which was for the construction industry. The crux of it was I was putting more money back into the pockets of construction companies and developers, right? Which is great. It's efficiency in construction and there was a bunch of benefits around that. But when Anna told me about the social impact side of things, again, that was a big learning for me because I didn't even know what social impact was. Up until that point, I hadn't had any friends who had disabilities. It was completely foreign to me. But then Anna told me about the problem that she was solving. And I was like, okay, let's dig into this a little bit. And it was just coincidental that the AFR published a two-page spread. This lady from Queensland, well, she was blind and she was talking about how it was difficult to go to university and you know, there was no help being given to her. And, you know, it was just so complex. And I decided to reach out to her and ask her a few questions about how she lives her life. Still to this day, I'm super grateful that she decided to take the call. And I'll never forget the last question I asked her at the end of the 30 minutes that we were speaking was, if you had a magic wand and you can wave it around and you can change anything in the world, what would it be? And Jane turned around and she said, people. She would change all people. And obviously I couldn't do that. So I was like, look, you couldn't change people. What would it be? And she said, if I could have tactiles everywhere, when you go to cross the traffic lights and you can feel the little bumps on the road in front of you, in front of the road, they're tactile ground surface indicators. And that's what someone who's blind as they're walking across the street, they can feel that with their cane. They can feel it under their feet. They know that they're about to cross the road. There's different tactiles that serve different purposes. So at the train station, you'll notice lines on the ground and you can feel them, right? So it gives you that feedback to let you know you're near the edge of the platform. And what Jane said was that she would love to have tactiles everywhere so she could feel her way around the world. And at that point, we didn't really have a commercial product. We just had the idea for Bindi Maps, which was called Banjo Maps at the time. And I explained to her Anna's idea. I was like, well, you know, what if you had an app that would literally talk you through every step of the way that was super accurate. It could tell you where you are within a couple of steps and it would talk you through every step of the way while also filling in all of the gaps that are usually missed. Like as you're walking to your hairdresser in a shopping center, it will tell you all the stores you're passing on your left and right. So you may need to stop and buy something. And after I explained the idea, Jane said that if something like that existed, it would completely change the way that she lived her life. And then it was at that point I was like, okay, cool. We've got a better purpose here. Let's close down this company. And Anna was kind enough to bring me on board as a co-founder and help grow the commercial side of the business. Serendipity, hey, so, so cool. You mentioned purpose there. You know, for our peers out there listening, you feel like they just don't know what they're passionate about, what their purpose is, you know, and all of this stuff that is so important that can really help guide us in business and life. What would be your advice to us around figuring that out for ourselves? I think it changes 
as you change and as the circumstances in your life change, I think that what you're passionate about and what a priority is right now may not be the same in three, six, 12 months time. And I would probably encourage a lot of people. It's what I'm actually doing next week, all of next week, spend some time alone and unplug from social media because I find that it's very easy to look at other people's glamorous lives on social media and Instagram and be like, this is what I need to do. This is what's expected of me. And this is the path that I need to follow if I want to be successful. And everyone falls into that trap. I'm not saying I'm any different, right? Like I do the exact same thing. So that's why I really think that you need to unplug a little bit and really think about what's important to you because at the end of the day, it's your life. It's not about what's important to someone else or what society expects you to do. Unplug and really think about what matters to you. What were some of the problems that you faced growing up that you would love to focus on solving? I've got a performance coach that I speak to and we speak regularly. Shout out Mandy. We speak very regularly and she was actually telling me recently because I got into this period where it was just, I was at that point of not knowing what I wanted to do. It was sort of like a plateau. It's you've done everything you needed to do up until this point. And now it was like, how do I take the next step? And it started to get very frustrating for me because I couldn't break through. I couldn't figure out what to do next. And it felt like, you know, I needed to do more. I needed to do the next thing. Whereas Mandy was like, hang on a second. Why don't you just take a step back and let yourself be okay with being where you are at the moment. Be content with the situation that you're in and focus on giving. Don't focus on, you know, what's the next thing I can accomplish? What's the next thing I can take? What's the next thing I can add to my belt? Focus on giving back. Really think about, you know, what can you give, whether that be time, finance, advice. And it worked really well. It was such a short period of time. I just did it for one week. I just kept my eyes open on what could I give. And it's amazing how a little thing like that can completely change your state of mind and the way that you perceive things and the way that you, you know, look out onto the world. So I would probably say that would be the key piece of advice. Be content, take a step back and focus on giving. And surely your passion will come to you eventually. Oh my goodness, Madden, you and I could talk for days and days, but I am mindful of your time. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. First one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? My greatest failure? That is a great question. And it's a difficult question. It's a very difficult question because we just had that conversation about how do you view your failures? Do you view them as successes or do you view them as failures? And that's what's really difficult to me, right? I think one of my greatest regrets was not allowing myself to believe that things are possible at a much earlier age because I think things would have been very, very different. But then again, I think things always happen for a reason. And if I did start focusing on what I'm focusing on now at an earlier age, I wouldn't have learned all the lessons that would be able to get me to where I am at the moment. If I'm looking at it from an outside perspective, I'd say my greatest failure was my first startup. I learned a lot throughout that phase and I could probably give tons of advice on what not to do. But in a nutshell, I would say that throughout my lifelong journey so far, which hasn't been that long, by the way, I'm not old, I would definitely say I don't really have too many things that I regret. But from a failure perspective, I would say my first startup. Greatest win, meeting the team that I'm with at the moment. It resonates so well with me now that thinking back to people saying we invest in teams and not ideas. I think the team that I've been able to surround myself with and the amount of stuff that I've been able to learn from them has been unbelievably helpful. And it was just being able to ride on the shoulders of giants, essentially. You know, they've got lifelong experience in their fields and being able to siphon that information out at such a young age, I think. That was probably my greatest win. 
I love it. So, so valuable. Look, Maladin, over the last five years since you know starting your company and being part of this, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work to date. In 2020, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? One key piece of advice that I learned from my first startup is have faith in yourself. Because getting into this, again, I learned what the word innovation was and three months later I had a startup, right? I had absolutely no idea. And my mindset was it was a whole new world and everyone knew better than I did. And then over time I let people take the reins for essentially building my company. I mean, I would just sit in the back and whatever anyone said, I'd be like, yep, you must know better. I'm going to listen to that. And then slowly over time, the company changed and I lost the passion for it because it wasn't solving the problem that I set out to solve. So have faith in yourself and take a punt on yourself because no one else will if you don't. That would be number one. Surround yourself with good people would be number two. And I'm definitely not saying cut out all of your friends that are from childhood, but they're not going down the professional journey. Definitely not. I think that you need a good balance of different people in your life. And I don't like all that stuff on social media. Cut out all the you know people in your life that aren't serving. I think that's bullshit. You need to have everyone in your life and you need to be friends with everyone. But when I say surround yourself with good people in your professional career and in the things that you want to accomplish, really try and have the people that you aspire to be like in the future or to be in their position around you, because that's really going to influence how you develop and how you grow and how your career unfolds. So really make sure you surround yourself with good people. And then the third piece of advice, I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to say it again, really focus on solving a problem that you're passionate about. A lot of people will get into so many different companies just because they can see dollar signs at the end of it. It will be tough. Nothing's easy. And if you focus on the quick, easy wins, it's never going to be successful. You might get lucky once or twice, but at the end of the day, that's like gambling. You get your high and then you go all the way down low and you end up losing even more than you started out with. So focus on your passion, focus on the problem you want to solve and everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. I love it. Look, Mladen, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, particularly us young, ambitious millennials, that if we have this vision, this goal and this dream, it's not too far-fetched. It doesn't matter how young we are or what we've been told that we're, you know, able to do or not, we can get there as long as we, you know, have that belief in ourselves and for that we really appreciate you. No, thank you. And a big shout out to my team. Feels like I'm taking the credit for something that everyone else has built within the company. So massive shout out to the entire team at Vinny Maps for doing the awesome work that you're doing and actually getting us to where we are. Yes, love it. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Happiness. That is the first thing that came to my mind, happiness. Because if you don't have a purpose and if you're not really pursuing what you're passionate about, you're going to get to a state, let's say, you know, you have all the money in the world, you have everything you could ever want, but then there's still a gap of where you're not fulfilled. And I personally believe that that gap in fulfillment can only be quenched by giving back and solving a problem that you're truly passionate about. So I think that following your passion is the utmost importance and I would as soon as you can because I know a lot of people are in positions where they can't focus on their passion but as soon as you can 
I would highly encourage you to start doing so because that's when you are going to start focusing on true happiness. So well said. Laden, thank you so much. We have had an absolute blast. It's been so great to chat. Where can we learn more about you and Bindi Maps? Thanks so much, Michelle. It's been awesome. The best way to get in touch with me, and if anyone wants to ask any questions, I'm always down to help out wherever I can. Best way is LinkedIn. So just search for Miladin Jovanovic. There's not too many of us, and you'll be able to find me there at Bindi Maps. But for Bindi Maps in general, just follow us on socials. We're super active on LinkedIn as well. So if you want to jump on there, Instagram, Facebook, we're doing some really, really awesome things. We're releasing new products, and we're really changing the world. So I encourage you to jump on and follow us and see what we're all about. Love it. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. It's been so awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Really appreciate the time. Amazing. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.